The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Jesus, you are really the song of humanity from age to age. You are the song of your people from one generation to the next. I thank you. I thank you that just the way that you have set up everything, that you have seen fit to pursue the end, your own end for creating everything, your own end for the entire universe, your own end for existence, your glory. You have perfectly aligned that with what would be best for us, with how we are made to resonate with your glory, to, to reverberate with it in joy and happiness. So as the song said, we, however, at this point in time, we see dimly, we we strain to see the light that emanates from you. So we ask this morning, would you please make that light a little bit clearer? Would you please um, align us to see that light more clearly? to see your glory and to experience the the satisfaction of seeing your glory a little bit more. Pray that you would um, fill me with your spirit and fill us with your spirit. Would you please cause uh, my words to be clear? Would you please cause the words to be clear and cause the most important things, the things with with which you would, you would have resonate within us and take up residence within us to change us, to move us? Would you cause those things to, to be prominent and to be remembered, to stick? Would you please lead us now and give us grace to give us your favor? Would you give us your favor to see you more clearly? And therefore, I pray that by your spirit, even now, would you be moving in us to give us a humble heart and a humble spirit that, that wants to hear your word. Because you say in your word that you give grace to the humble. Your eyes are drawn to the humble. So even now, would you by your spirit make me, make us humble hearers of your word. I pray this in your name, by the power of your name, by the grace of your name, by the mercy of your name. Amen. I invite you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you are using one of the Bibles from the hallway, that's on page 702 in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be thinking about the doctrine of the priesthood of the saints, the priesthood of all believers this morning. 
And I'll first read from 1 Peter, starting in actually chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22, though we will mostly be focusing on verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. 1 Peter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. It is now 500 years since the beginning of the Reformation, and this doctrine, the doctrine of the priesthood of the saints, was one that the church rediscovered then, and it set the church and the world on fire. It turned the world upside down. It reminded the saints of their privilege and their role as priests of God, in the priesthood of God. It brought the church alive because it gave people purpose and the power to live it out. We need this awakening today. We are divided people. Much, much is said of our culture being divided, and it is, but I think that's because we are divided ourselves, within ourselves. Our minds are sliced into a thousand little pieces distracted by a thousand websites or a thousand TV shows, but it goes deeper. Christians often get distracted because we live off the wrong storyline. The storyline that we're attracted to, it, it acknowledges the path of sacrifice for God as, as a part of life, but the path for personal satisfaction, well, that, that comes by other things. That, that comes by devoting myself primarily to other things, good things, family, children, 
a job, establishing a family, finding a mate, possessions, comfort in retirement. But those things don't pay off what the storyline promises. These good things in the end still leave us empty. I just got the most recent issue of Time magazine yesterday and it said that there has never been more depression in the West than there is right now, though we have all these things in abundance. They don't pay off. But as I trust we will see today, the life of true satisfaction is a life lived in undivided attention and devotion to the Lord. We began thinking about this a few weeks ago when we looked at Exodus, and there we saw how God saved his people from Egypt and then told them his purpose in Exodus 19.6, that they had become his treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. He owns everything, but they would be his most treasured possession. A kingdom of priests, a nation set aside by God, made holy, made holy in the sense of set aside to glorify him, to glorify him by enjoying him, by enjoying their privileged access to him, by sacrificing to him, and by extolling him, as Nathan spoke of earlier, by extolling him to each other and to the world. We saw that Israel set aside one clan, the Levites, to serve as priests to the Lord, but that was really just on the principle of representation. Everyone in the nation was called to be priests to the Lord. A kingdom of priests, a high priest and priests, a high priest and priests enjoying access to God, sacrificing to him and extolling him to each other and to the world. But national Israel, as we heard Bob talk about, was barren. It was divided in its attention and in its loyalty and in what it it hoped for like all of us, left to ourselves, like all of us, barren, unfruitful. And eventually it was whittled down in judgment, whittled down to just one servant of the Lord, just one servant. And this one servant, Israel, was faithful. He brought spiritual offering, excuse me, spiritual offspring through his own offering, Spiritual offspring, you and I, all of us who have trusted in him. By trusting in him, we have become united to him. And by uniting, being united to him, we now share in his resurrection life. We now share in his capacity to finally produce fruit, lasting, satisfying fruit, offspring. We are reborn to be fruitful and multiply, to be fruitful and multiply spiritual offspring. To live with undivided attention to the glory of God wherever he has placed us in the world. And by this undivided attention, Jesus continues to produce spiritual fruit, spiritual offspring through us that multiplies his glory in the world. And this work, as we will see, I hope, I trust, will produce in us the most, the deepest satisfaction imaginable. The life of devotion and sacrifice is the same path as the search for meaning and satisfaction. They are the same 
path. The life of a priest. So we will consider what this life looks like within the priesthood, within the church this morning, and then next week externally to the, Lord, to the world. So three points. Three points this morning about access, sacrifice, and extolling him. About access, sacrifice, and extolling him. The first one is this. We find our place in the priesthood by enjoying our access to God through Jesus. We find our place in the priesthood by enjoying our access to God through Jesus. I get this from verses 4 and 5 from chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is Christ, the cornerstone, who builds us up into his temple and to be his spiritual house. The stones of this temple now are living stones. There is no more physical temple made of stones. This temple that God is building is made of people, offspring of the one high priest of the cornerstone, Jesus. If you are, then Jesus is. If you are one of his offspring, then he is at this very moment shaping you and working in you to bring God glory in his house through you. So how does he do this? How does he do this shaping? The beginning of verse 4. As you, as we come to him. He shapes us. The Old Testament gives us a picture of this. Moses, who would go outside the camp to meet with God. His ability to function faithfully and fruitfully inside the camp depended largely on the quality of his communion with God outside the camp. Only in this way, by coming to God in Christ, are we able to offer sacrifices that are acceptable, verse 5, to God. So first, this means coming to God to be washed, to chapter 1, verse 22, to have your soul purified. This is done by obedience to the truth, Peter says, which first means belief, believing the gospel. That we can only be accounted righteous before God by trusting in the sacrifice and the righteousness of God that is given to us through Christ. The most important question for you here is not what you do. It's not how you do it. The most important question is, are you an offspring of Jesus? Are you born again? If not, then nothing else I say today matters at all. For eternity, this is the great fulcrum of your entire existence. Are you born again? Do not presume to find satisfaction anywhere else in all of existence. Because I tell you, I will get to this, the only satisfaction worth having is on the other side of being reborn by believing the gospel, and by sharing in the new life of this resurrected Savior, Jesus. So please, do not miss this. Are you reborn? Have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you trusted in what he did on the cross, dying 
so that we could be forgiven. Are you reborn? I, if not, ask him. <laughs> ask him, show me Jesus and make me alive. God loves that prayer. There's nothing, nothing presumptuous about it. Pray that way. Pray that way. Are you born again? But this, this coming to God, it, it goes for Christians too. We, we keep coming to Him. We keep coming to Him in order that our, that our sacrifices would be acceptable to God. Now, yes, there is now no condemnation for us. But that does not mean that everything that we do is acceptable to God. Because the Bible also says that God resists the proud. God resists the proud, and He only gives grace to the humble. So the only, the only way that I know of in the entire Bible to be humble is to never wander far from the cross, from the foot of the cross. And so Christians who are seeking to offer spiritual sacrifices are people who are continually coming to Jesus, going outside the camp to sit at the foot of the cross and to see Jesus and to be blessedly humbled. Blessedly so because the humble invite the gaze of God and invite His favor. Humility is a sweet, good thing. And we only get it there at the foot of the cross. So we keep going outside the camp to the hill of Calvary. But also, see what else this is saying. A, a great deal of your ability to find a fruitful, satisfying place here at Ephri is ha, has nothing to do with um, how new or how long-standing you are in this church. And it has nothing to do with whether you meet the right people or whether you know the right religious buzzwords, you know, that you hear everybody else saying, or whether you have, you know, the dazzling answers that everybody else goes, ooh, about in Bible study, you know. It, that doesn't matter. Um, what matters is are you going outside the camp and being shaped and, 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 and molded by the cornerstone, by the high priest, because if you are, as, we, as you come to him, he will place, place you. He will shape you. He will put you in just the right place that he wants to place you in, in this body, in this priesthood. The quality of our, of our sacrifice, the, the quality of our priestly work has everything to do with going outside this camp and meeting with Jesus and being shaped by him. He will do this. He will shape you into just the right fit, into just the right place to perform the priestly work that he wants from you in his house. And that's, that is the only thing, as we will see, that really matters. So many people spend, me included, I, I have done this, where I, I, I have labored and, and exercised a lot of energy and mental energy and spiritual energy to, to get into the, the inner ring in my church 
You know, the, the inner ring of, of people that, it, that if I, I, I see them and if I just get inside that group, then I'll be satisfied and I'll be secure in this church and I'll be fruitful. But you find, even in a church, that when you, you exhaust yourself and you tire yourself out to get in that approved place, that acceptable place in the church, in that inner ring, you find out when you get there, there's nothing there. It's empty. <laughs> it's empty. That, that is not the place of satisfaction. The, the true place of acceptability of satisfaction in any church, including this one, does not come from getting in that inner ring, but going outside the camp and letting Jesus shape you and place you. This coming to God is crucial. It is not optional. It is the very thing that will free you to be fruitful to others. will free you. We need to be freed. Look with me up above at chapter 1, verse 22. And what it implies, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We all think that we know exactly what love actually is, and so often we assume that we ourselves are fully capable of loving the other people here. The problem is that everybody else here is hard to love. That's the problem, so we think. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse implies that something else is going on, that in order to love, you and I must be purified. We are actually not capable of loving others sincerely in a brotherly way unless we have a pure heart. And as the men heard at the boot camp, the way we are changed is by seeing God, by seeing Jesus. And it is at the sight of him that we are transformed, that we are changed. Everything, everything about being a fruitful priest in the priesthood of God hinges on that little phrase in verse 4, as you come to him. Then, as we are changed, we move toward the church in love. And as we love, certain things will stand out. Your giftings, how, how, how Jesus has particularly shaped you and molded you to be useful. Th those things will come out. They will become apparent. You won't be trying to display your gifts. You'll be trying to worship God. But, but as, you, as you try to, to love that brother and sister, those giftings, they will show. People will see them. They will appreciate them and affirm them. And then your place in the body will become more and more obvious. Now, none of us has all of these gifts. God has put us in a priesthood. Peter does not say that we are priests here. He says that we are a priesthood. We are not holy, independent silos, but a priesthood. Our dependence upon God is pictured for us and our mutual dependence one upon the other. There is only one cornerstone, and we are all only partially gifted. So we discover our gifts and the gifts of others in the course of loving the priesthood. As you love, your place will become apparent. So again, it, it begins, however, ironically, not with trying to find your place in the body, but by going outside the camp to commune with your high priest, Jesus. So what does this mean to come to him? I think you 
probably have already picked up on it, but it is first, we, we see that it is constant. The tense here is continual. We are being built up as we continually come to Jesus, as we continually go outside the camp. Daily grace, daily communion. And it means, verse 3, Peter quoting here, Psalm 34, it means coming to him to taste and see just how good God is for you in Christ. To remind yourself through the word just how privileged you are just how honored you are to be his offspring, to be chosen by him, to be precious to him. Do you see that, brother and sister, that you are actually just as precious to the Father as Jesus is by being united to him in faith? To sit and just revel in that, to just soak it in. That's what we're talking about to soak in all of his grace and love to you. It, it means to hear Jesus say, as he did to the disciples when they came back, so impressed with the power that he had given them. Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you or that you have a certain position in church or despair when you don't. No, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. That is what matters. That's what matters. So much comes downstream from that. Everything comes downstream from that. So it means to simply stop and sit a while and enjoy the sight of Jesus, trusting that he will shape you, he will mold you. So when we see him, we are changed, changed more into his likeness, the likeness of the perfect priest, a priest who is moved by his offspring. You know, in order to really see the stars, you got to get outside of the bright lights of the city. As we see the light of God in Christ more clearly, we are better positioned to see our place in the priesthood and then serve. And this leads me to the second point. We find our greatest satisfaction by single-mindedly sacrificing. Sorry, again, it's another longer point. We find our greatest satisfaction by single-mindedly sacrificing for the sake of spiritual offspring. For the sake of spiritual offspring. We find our greatest satisfaction by single-mindedly sacrificing for the sake of spiritual offspring. And tack on to the end, through Jesus Christ. When we behold Jesus and we see all that He has done to save us, we should ourselves be moved to worship. And since God owns everything inside and outside the church, then everything becomes an opportunity for worship, to worship Him. Everything. Everything is a ground for our worship. Everything out there and everything in this church. A place to worship Him through sacrificing for Him in gratitude. So this, this should be a great motivation to us to offer spiritual sacrifices to him. We who were called out of darkness, helpless, who have been rescued by him, this should move us. But there is another motivation. In this passage, Peter has in mind uh, Isaiah. He keeps quoting from the prophet Isaiah repeatedly here. 
You may remember Isaiah 53, where it says that by his stripes we have been healed. That all of our transgressions were placed upon him. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter for us. And it says there that in the anguish of his sacrifice, he looked and saw his offspring. You've got to picture this. In the middle of his anguish, the anguish of his sacrifice, he looked and he saw us. He looked and he saw us. And in the very next phrase, it says, and he was satisfied. Satisfied. Then in the following chapters, Isaiah gives us this image, several images, one of a, a barren woman, and then one of a foreigner, and then one of a, a eunuch to describe the offspring that he saw. He saw us, and we are described as, as barren women, as foreigners, as eunuchs, unable to provide offspring, unable to create fruit, shameful, separated. But through Christ, we have come near. We are, we are made now, and, and we are remade, we are reborn and able to produce fruit more than a, than a physical mother can produce with more joy than that physical mother could experience. And the foreigner is brought close. And then Isaiah speaks of this eunuch, a, a eunuch, someone who has been set aside, made holy, in order to give his undivided attention to the service of a king, a eunuch, to the glory of this Lord, dependent upon this Lord. And he says of this eunuch, promise in Isaiah 55 5 he says I will give to this eunuch us in my house and within my walls this new temple a monument and a name better than sons and daughters if you can believe it a monument better than sons and daughters I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That monument is offspring that will go into eternity, that will never end. You know, m most of us, I think, if you're like me, you just, you just kind of hope that after you die, people remember you for, you know, if not a whole another generation, at least, you know, for some number of years. <laughs> um, but what we are promised here. Is, is offspring, a monument that will go into eternity. Jesus is out for so much more for us than what we can even think to imagine. What is that? He is shaping us in this church and in this world to, to position us to experience the same satisfaction that he himself felt in the midst of his anguish, of his sacrifice. Satisfaction that will be the deepest satisfaction for our souls and that will go off into eternity. There is no satisfaction like this anywhere on earth. And the fact that you can't imagine it right now is, is not because of God. It's because you're so human, because I'm so human. We, we're not glorified yet, so we can't even imagine this. 
The thing that would truly satisfy you forever comes through single-mindedly offering spiritual sacrifices to God that yield spiritual, eternal offspring, and that would yield to you true, abiding, eternal satisfaction. It's a satisfaction that God promises promises will go deeper than even having grandchildren. (laughs) Those of you that have grandchildren, you're probably thinking, man, I, I need some faith to believe that. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. We bring the most glory to God by living by faith in His unbelievable promises to us. That's how you do it. Because it is actually God that produces this fruit through Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. Spiritual sacrifices, depending upon the Spirit, our connection to Jesus to produce this spiritual fruit, this spiritual offspring. All the glory goes to Him and eternal satisfaction comes to us. It's beautiful. Beautiful symmetry. So perhaps those spiritual offspring are, in fact, your physical offspring. Glorious. But then now you are brothers before you are father and son, amazingly. The eunuch of Isaiah is a picture of why the New Testament so values, by the way, singleness. Because one who is single is less distracted and able to devote him or herself single-mindedly to the service of the Lord, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. That's what really matters. That's that's the path by which we experience this satisfaction that nothing else matches. That's why singles and married people with kids and those that can't have kids and widows and divorcees, they are all on equal footing in this priesthood. Because what matters to God's glory and our satisfaction is single-minded devotion to and dependence upon the Lord. Regardless of our circumstance in every single season of life. So, what does this single minded devotion, these spiritual sacrifices look like? Well, we've already seen up above in in chapter 1, verse 22, it, it looks like earnest love. Just being genuinely concerned, realizing there is a priesthood that I'm a part of, and having concern for it. It means sympathy. We see this in Hebrews, where Jesus, our high priest, is said to to sympathize with our weakness because of his suffering for us. As As we go outside the camp and beat a path to Calvary, we discover a high priest that can sympathize with all of our sins and weakness, though he was without sin. Sympathy. And we learn to be sympathetic to the sins and the weaknesses of each other. But Jesus does more than sympathize. He intercedes for us. He wants for us what we need. We we are so quick, me included, once we've established some kind of understanding of the other person's situation and their needs, we speak. We speak to those needs. We seek to fix them. Um, And that's half right. That's half right. We should speak, but not horizontally. We should speak vertically about those needs. If, if you really want what the other person needs, 
the best, the fastest way to get it for them is to go to the source. So we pray. We pray. And when we pray, we find that we are entering in to our great high priest's constant intercession for us. He is constantly before the throne with his pierced hands and his pierced feet before the Father interceding for us. And the Spirit is constantly lifting up prayers to the throne room of God on our behalf. And the Father, because he looks at, the, at his Son, is accepting those prayers because of what Jesus has done for us through Jesus. So we find that when we pray, we are entering into that great cosmic holy chatter in the heavens. It is a beautiful thing. It is a priestly work to pray. So I, I, don't, I don't know of any other way to be a faithful priest to God in His temple than to pray for other people in the church by name. I don't, I don't know how else you do it. Br- brother and sister, I'm fully convinced of this. The most important book in our faith is, of course, the Bible. And the second most important book is the church directory. It's the church directory. That's why we fashion it as first a prayer list and phone list. It is first a prayer list. It is impossible to bear eternal spiritual fruit without praying for people by name from the Bible. From the Bible. From the Bible because as we get close to each other and we hear each other's struggles and we sympathize with each other, we, we read our Bibles to find out to find out what the person actually needs. So we pray for them out of our Bibles, out of the church directory. These are not the only priestly jobs we have. Everything, everything we do, if done for His glory, depending upon His Spirit, is a priestly work now. Thus, all of the one another's of Scripture can be called a priestly job for us to do. It is also interesting that when the Philippians collected money for the poor in Jerusalem, Paul called that a priestly service. And even the guy who delivered the money, Paul called that a priestly service in the sight of God, acceptable in the sight of God. In this temple, there are now no special classes of service or of servants. The barber and the pastor, they're the same. When, when, we, when, when folks from our congreg- congregation cooked food for Mission Sunday, that was priestly service. When we collected money to give to the church in Ukraine, that was a priestly service. When I went down to the bank to send the wire, praying about the conversation I m- might have with the teller, that was a priestly service. These were all priestly works acceptable to God. What matters now is not the exact form of the service. What matters is that it is done for God, depending upon God to provide fruit, banking on His promise that this is what will give me the deepest satisfaction. That's what priestly service looks like. With one exception, this love requires one more priestly work, and this leads me to the third point. The great end of our redemption to priesthood The great end of our redemption to priesthood is to extol God 
to each other through Jesus Christ. The great end of our redemption to priesthood is to extol God to each other through Jesus Christ. I say extol God here as another way of saying proclaim excellencies. Verse 9, we were chosen, set aside as a nation, possessed by God, made priests, made royal eunuchs in the service of this king for one ultimate purpose, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the whole game. That's the whole thing. Marveling in what he has done to make us a people and to give us mercy. As we delight in that, <laughs> we're to talk about it. <laughs> Just talk about it. Is this not just the most logical, natural thing for us human beings? To talk about what delights us, what dazzles us, what lights us up? We just do that. When you think about everything that has preceded this, this verse, this command is almost redundant. It's not. We need it to be said to us. But this is what we just do as human beings when light fills us, when we are delighted. We talk about it. Light comes out. The great end of all creation, of all of God work, God's works, is that His glory would be seen and enjoyed, that all of us would taste and see that He is indeed good. And for us humans, this is, this is just what we do. We talk about it. So we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus to see God, and then we respond in worshipful sacrifice to Him but our priestly work will always be incomplete if we do not speak of him, if we do not proclaim with our mouths his excellencies. We say it. We say it. So we should speak horizontally to each other, but not to fix each other, to critique each other to superficially quote Bible verses to each other, but to proclaim His excellencies, His goodnesses, His beauties, His promises, His character traits, what He has done. To, to say to the other person, I, I want you to see wh what I see fr from my perspective. Come, come see, look, look. You, you ever see somebody, you walk down the sidewalk and you see someone just looking up at the sky at something? What does everybody else do? <laughs> That's how you glorify God. <laughs> That's how you draw others' gazes, their, their gazes to God. <laughs> by talking of Him, by talking of what you see. Paul in Ephesians puts it this way, we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. When we sing here in worship, we are not just singing to God. We are singing, we ought to be mindful of the priesthood, singing to each other of His excellencies. That's what we've been doing. Some of the most sweet and powerful moments that I have ever experienced with other Christians have been 
during times or seasons when I had, I had lost sight of God during perhaps a, a difficult trial. And the other person didn't preach at me, but they simply extolled God in my presence. They simply talked about God's excellencies in front of me. They're just brief, unscripted moments, hallway conversations sometimes. But because that spirit, that person has the spirit of God in them, and that spirit connects them to Jesus, they, in a very real sense, brought God back to me. Which is really another way of saying they brought me back to God by simply proclaiming his excellencies to me, by talking about what delights them. Is there anything more valuable? Is there anything more valuable that a person could do for another person? So you don't need a degree or a position to do this. Anybody can do this with somebody else. Anybody can get to know somebody else and learn their struggles and trials and open their Bible and pray. And as they pray, they, they consider what this person needs and they, they consider what of God that this person could, would, be benef- would be benefited by from hearing about. Anybody who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good can say to another person, boy, he is good. He, he never leaves me nor forsakes me. He is faithful to his promises, though what a sinner I am. Anybody could do this. This is why community groups exist. That we would have tracks for this priestly work to run on. A community group gathering, just a a simple meal, but a moment filled with potential for you to fulfill your priestly role in this church. You who are older, let me ask you, do you know the struggles and the trials of the younger people that you live nearby, that are a part of your community group? Do you know what those things are? Do you know where they are tempted to be distracted and to drift away from God, to lose sight of God? Do you know? If you're an older woman, do you know where and when that younger woman in your community group struggles to love her husband and her children? Do you know where she is distracted and tempted to lose sight of God? If not, remember your priestly calling. If you would, then that that simple meal at community group would become a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God, a sacrifice of time and listening to get to know the other person, to know how to sympathize with their struggles and weaknesses in order to pray for them and in order to know what of God would benefit them. Perhaps that younger woman around that simple meal at that table is meant to be your spiritual offspring, fruit, Another context for our life together is discipleship groups where the stated purpose is that we would attend to one another's souls with the gospel. It's just an old Puritan way of saying we get together and we pay attention to what's going on in each other and we seek to, to bless each other with the gospel, to encourage one another. In community groups, we gather geographically, but in discipleship groups, we gather according to stage in life and gender We need both. We need both because, again, we are a priesthood. We are not silos segmented by generation or by gender. We need both. 
The priesthood is dependent upon you, and you are dependent upon the priesthood. God in Christ has designed us that way. So as you consider these things, what changes do you need to make? Perhaps this fall, when school gets back in session and all of our routines become more consistent. What changes do you need to make? Perhaps you could serve in children's ministry or the kitchen or correspond to a missionary or give to missions. More than anything, may he grow us all to be more like Timothy. Paul described him as being a noble man because he had genuine concern for the church, for the priesthood. If he would do this in us, his glory really would multiply here. And so would our joy. More than anything, may we remember our privileged place. May we enjoy, enjoy our privileged access to God. May we pursue sacrifices to Him, betting on that promise of His, that that would truly satisfy us as we see spiritual fruit because we are extolling Him and that fruit is created by the gospel going out from our lips. And we see it and we rejoice. Let me pray. Father, we pray now. We pray because we need you. We need you and we have you. Because of what you have done, Lord Jesus, we have all of you. So we pray. We pray that you would, from one priest to another in this priesthood, that you would work here. By your Spirit, you would give us what we need. That you would build us up into Christ Jesus. Unite us around him. Unite us. Fill us more with you. Fill us more with you that you really would be glorified here. Not only glorified, but that we would be filled with joy that Peter talks about earlier in this letter. Joy that is inexpressible. Hard to put into words, but nevertheless, more real than any joy we've ever known. Please do this. Please do more than it, what I can think right now to ask for. I thank you that you are in this business business of being a generous father to your children, a generous savior, a generous king. Thank you. Thank you for what you will do. In your name, in your precious, treasured name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.